that we uh, are, are able to rest uh, in the fact that we are in Christ. And, and Lord, help us to do so this morning. God, I pray that your uh, spirit would lead us, guide us, direct us today, Lord, that uh, you would uh, point us to your word and that your word would uh, be applied uh, by the spirit to our hearts. And God, that we would not just have more knowledge of you in our minds, but God, that we would have real faith and real obedience uh, today. Lord, I pray that today as, as we have this worship service as well in Sunday school, Lord, that we would just celebrate uh, answers to prayer this week. Uh, little progresses that, that you've made, Lord, and it's by your hand because, God, each of these things that we've prayed for and, and are about to lift up as well, God, only you can handle these things. God, we can't. That's why we're giving them to you. Uh, and Lord, help us to, to stay faithful in prayer, uh, to persevere through these things, and God, just to, to trust you, to know that you are able and mighty enough uh, to meet every one of these needs uh, beyond more than what we could ever even uh, ask for. God, we pray as well, Lord, that we would just be joyful today at the fact that we get uh, to baptize uh, some folks today. We get to partake of, of the Lord's Supper. And, and Lord, that we might see the, the wonderful fellowship that we can have in Christ together today. And Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. God, we want to pray for the many sick today. And Lord, we've got uh, many families who are still out and dealing with sickness. Uh, we've got several families who have dealt with loss of life. Uh, there's a, a Bowman family and several others as well. Lord, we, we just pray that you would meet those needs and give peace and comfort to those families. Pray as well for our, our children and our ministries and that are happening even this morning. Uh, we pray for um, all of our teachers from, from the youth down to the nursery, Lord, who are teaching our young people to know Christ. And Lord, uh, today we get to celebrate as well, Lord, just the impact that that has even at a young age uh, of preaching the gospel and giving the gospel and showing Christ in the scriptures. And God, I pray that you would be uh, uh, just able to bless those folks today, bless those classrooms, and God, that you would uh, use them today, and, and Lord, that we might see um, a continued growth, and, and God, that we would not just see growth numerically, but Lord, we want to see us to be able to grow deeper in Christ, deeper into your word, so that we might go higher in glorifying you, and Lord, we just pray that today that you would meet with us. Uh, we pray for Teddy's dad uh, and Sylvia as well. Both are going through a, an incredibly difficult time. We've got Brother Wayne, who's in the hospital still, and and, Lord, there's another who's there at the same hospital, Lord, fighting uh, sicknesses and things. We pray as well for Donnie and Leroy who are um, still recovering and going through treatments and things. We uh, pray for Miss Eileen. We pray that you would give her strength and encouragement today. Uh, we pray as well, uh, Lord, for the, the mother who's uh, struggling with some postpartum. We pray that you would uh, give relief and help and strength there. But we do thank you for new life. Uh, we do pray as well um, for, for the teens and, and the young families and the young people in our community, Lord, who... Uh, seem as if they just have no hope and, and, and they're going uh, so wayward, Lord, because that's the only way that they know to go, Lord. Um, Father, we, we pray, God, that they would see that there is another way, and it's a narrow way. Uh, it's not a way of works, but it's a, a way uh, that is through the blood of Christ and that there is a way that leads to freedom, to truth, to uh, a life, to, to knowing you, a life of forgiveness, a life of hope, a life of identity and purpose. And we pray, God, that they might be able to see that at a young age. Help us, Lord, to pray for our young people. Uh, help us, Lord, to reach out to them and, and to be concerned for them, Lord. And, Lord, we could so easily look down upon them because the generations have seemingly gotten worse and worse. But nevertheless, may we see that they are souls in desperate need of Christ. Uh, may we see uh, as you see, Lord. May we have eyes that see that the great needs of this world, the great needs of our community and our homes. And, Lord, that we would desire to give these things to you, that we would simply trust you today with these things. We, we do pray as well. Uh, for uh, Miss Kay, who's dealing with some sickness. Lord, the many unspoken requests today. Uh, Lord, there's countless things and burdens, Lord, upon our hearts. But Lord, nevertheless, you tell us in your word that we can cast all of our care upon you because you care for us. Lord, what a thought that is that you care, not just for us, but you care for our needs, our sorrows, our burdens. And Lord, may we 
uh, just give all these things to you today. And Lord, today as we come to your word, uh, Lord, during the Sunday school hour, we pray, God, that you would be uh, glorified and honored, that you would teach us um, more about you, and Lord, that we would follow you by faith. Lord, we thank you for this time, and Lord, I pray that you would lead God, direct us, and, and guard my heart, my mind, my tongue today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. We do have a new booklet. If you need to get one, uh, get up, run back, you can grab you one there. If you want one, and if you don't want one, that's fine too. I'm not offended by that at all. But, uh, the copy machine might be, I don't know, uh, but that's all right. Um, we're going to be looking today at verses 13 to 16. Is going to be this sort of first little section here um, at the acceptance of the church. Um, we're going to see two major sections at the end of, of chapter 2. Uh, that it's going to be the acceptance of the church and the absence of Paul. Uh, Paul is wishing towards the end of this chapter that he could be there with them. He's going to express that. He's already expressed to them his great desire uh, for them, his thankfulness for them. He's going to continue that as well here in this section in, in, in verses 13 to 16, but it's going to be for something very specific, and it's going to be for the way in which they accepted the Word of God. Now, there is nothing greater than for God's people to accept what God has to say. There is no debate when God speaks. When God speaks, it is done, it is full, it is final, it is satisfactory, it is sufficient for all things, for all needs. And so we must understand that when God's Word is not only preached, not because a preacher preaches it, but because God's Word, when it is opened, it preaches itself. That is what we need more than anything in our day. The greatest thing that we need for all these requests, all these needs upon our heart, uh, the, the things that we need for these young people today that we've talked about it is the Word of God. There is nothing more that can help us than this Bible. But we will only be helped by the Bible if we are in the Bible, right? Now let's look here today, verse 13 and 16. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the Word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up uh, their sins alway, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Yikes. Now, we're going to look here today to start in verse 13. Verse 13 is essentially this, that Paul is thankful for their faithful reception of the gospel as the word of God and not of men, which is now working in them. And this is a little bit of a chunk here, verse 13. Let, let's sort, start here. I don't really have it in the booklet, but this first little section. For this cause, we thank God without ceasing. That should be the very much attitude of not just the Apostle Paul, but every one of us today. We should thank God without ceasing. Does this mean that 24-7, the only thing we should ever do, quit your job, uh, quit your, your clubs, your programs, do all that stuff, and all you just do is just sit around and praise God? Well, that'd be nice, but that's what heaven's going to be for, all right? We can praise the Lord, do so freely without having to, to worry about uh, this fallen nature or fallen flesh or anything like that. But the idea is simply this, that we should, as Paul is for the church, be continuously thankful. Uh, today, let's, let's put it maybe into a little bit for, for our sake. Uh, how many of you are thankful to be in church today, right? We ought to be, right? Now, we might not be able to raise our hand for this one. How many of us are continuously thankful to be in church? We'd like to say that, right? Now, I would love to say that for all, all the time. We want to be that way, right? Sometimes we get in the flesh and it gets a little tough, but we want to be that way. 
And, and the reason why we should is because the church of God is the institution of God. It is the very body and bride of Christ that draws us together. This is where we come to gather together, to, to fellowship with one another, to worship God, to be filled up. We gather to scatter. Does that make sense? That sounds like a Waffle House order that you put on hash browns. To, <laughs> I, I like them uh, co- uh, smothered and, and covered. But, uh, but anyways, uh, we, look, we think we gather together, right, to be sent out. But we have to gather together. And, and there is nothing more blessed than that uh, when we gather together as a saints. And Paul here says, I thank God without ceasing. And then he's going to give us the reason. He says, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, meaning when you heard the word preached by us, you didn't just take it as our words. He goes on, he says, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He says, when we preach the word to you, you didn't go, oh, that's just old Paul, or oh, that's just Timothy and Silas, oh, crazy guys, you know, they're just old preachers, right? They're old fashioned, or they're old fogies, or whatever they might be, right? No, he says, you receive the word as the word of God. You know why? Because when they preach, they preach with authority because they preach from the Word of God. And they preach what God gave them to preach. They preach nothing that contradicted the Word of God because they were preaching the Word of God. And here's the, the great solution for all pastors, preachers, Sunday school teachers, and, and parents alike. If you want the Word of God to do a work in others' lives, then just preach the Word of God. There is no other power that can accomplish the work of God outside of the Word. We need the Word of God. We must receive this as not just the Word of, not, not the word of men here, right? Now let me ask you, who wrote 1 Thessalonians? We talked about this already. Paul, right? So is this Paul's made-up word, or is this God's Word? This is God's Word. Does he use Paul? Yes. The same way he used Peter and James and John and, and Luke and Matt, right? We, the whole thing, right? Nevertheless, we must receive this as the Word of God because if this is just another book, we could drain the baptistry, we could go home and we could drink hot chocolate and stare outside at the cold, right? What a wonderful day that'd be, right? No, it wouldn't be. But because this is the Word of God, this is why we can gather together with full assurance of faith. Now, he begins here. Thomas writes, Having already thanked God in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 for their progress. Let's pause there in that quote for a moment and go back. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 tell us this. We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He's thankful there. He's thankful again. And here's what he goes on to say. Paul now does so again by alluding to chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, which describes specifically how the Thessalonians so rapidly entered into a Christian way of life. Here, He cites their ready acceptance of the word of God, not to demonstrate the proof of their election, as in chapter 1, but to show the reason for his sincere gratitude for them. Remember, Paul is having to defend the fact that there were people, all in chapter 2, who were saying, Paul didn't really care about us. Paul came just to build up his own name. Paul's building his own kingdom. He came with wrong motives or a bad attitude. And Paul has clearly shown that's not the case. And as well, further proof is the way in which that they received the word of God uh, and as he's going to get into in just a moment, they receive it with endurance in the middle of persecution, through trials, through difficulties. And so it shows that the word of God clearly had a real effect upon them. Now, he's got this continued thankfulness for the word and work of the word of God, as we always should. We must never take this Bible for granted. We must never take the work of God for granted. We, we must simply trust him with these things and, and praise him and be thankful that 
God's word is always sufficient to accomplish the, the work of God. And we must be thanking God continuously that God is always at work. Now, let's be honest today. We don't always see on our end the work of God. Much of the work of God is taking place what you and I might consider to be behind the scenes, but to God it's not behind the scenes. To God, He is in the midst of every detail where His Word is being preached, proclaimed. This is the very confidence that every pastor can have where every week we don't see droves of people coming down the aisles, right? We see sometimes little to no fruit. Now that's no, that's no, no dig at anybody. That's rather going... My confidence is not because people come forward. My confidence is that when the word goes forth, that God is at work. And we can trust in that. And today, to be honest with you, to have two souls being baptized, to have the Lord's Supper, to have fellowship, to have a children's club, what we're finding is that the work of God is always at work. And the word of God is always producing this work of God. Now, now Edward writes, the gospel is the word which the apostles preached, Right? Some would say, well, you know, you need to spice up the messages a little bit, right? Preach something different. Preach something exciting. Is there anything more different in the first century than the gospel? That is totally contrary to the world's system, to the world's ideologies and theologies. And you say, well, we need something uh, not just fresh, and, but we need something exciting. Is there anything more exciting than a man who did claim to be God because he was God, who performed miracles only God could do, including raising the dead, died a death after living a sinless life, went into the grave and rose again and was bodily and literally seen by hundreds and upon hundreds of people and then still did more work for another 40 days? I mean, think about that. Is there anything more exciting than that? Is there anything more exciting than that God himself has come to man to make a way for man to come to God? Nothing could be more exciting. So we don't need anything that's newer, fresher, and more exciting because the gospel is the freshest, most relevant thing and the most exciting thing that there ever could be. And the greatest thing that could happen in our churches today and in our own lives this very morning is that we would see with freshness and excitement a renewed vision of the gospel of Christ that would reinvigorate our hearts to be as praise, uh, full of praise as Paul was, to be as thankful as Paul was for the church, for the word of God, for the work of God in the life of the church and the life of believers. So the gospel is the word which the apostles preached. However, it did not come from the apostles. They didn't make this up. He says, but from God. Before the gospels were written, the good news was proclaimed orally, and so it was heard rather than read. To hear the word, however, means also to receive it with one's heart. The Thessalonians accepted, or welcomed, as in chapter 1, verse 6, the gospel not merely as a human word, though it was spoken by men, but as God's word. Today, the goal of every preacher should be this. Not that you hear what I have to say with enticement or emotions or with some sort of effect or even three points in a poem, but it is that you would hear what God has to say. Ultimately, uh, here's, here's, the, here's the power. The power is not in the preacher. The power is in the message. The, the power is in the very word of God itself. We don't have to defend the word. What we need to let, the do, let, let happen is, is let the word do what the word does. The word is a sword. Let it prick hearts. Let it... Uh, divide and cut asunder to lay us open and bare before God to draw us to Christ because that's exactly what this book is for. We also understand this. Man's word, is it always right? No. Is it halfway right? Maybe half a time, <laughs> right? Uh, now, think about this. Man's word is always fallible, right? It might sound inspirational, but it's not inspired. Does that make sense? 
right? I mean, it might be a bad illustration, but you think about this. You go back to the 1930s and 40s, you look at Mussolini and Hitler, you want to talk about inspirational people? They were inspirational speakers. Now, that sounds awful and atrocious, but they were inspirational. But they weren't inspired, not by God. Now, think about this. Man is fallible. He is not inerrant. He is not sufficient. But the Word of God is. Now, here's the beauty of what God does. Our perfect, holy, righteous God uses imperfect, unholy, unrighteous people to proclaim His Word. He uses people who are fallible to proclaim His infallible truth. He uses people like me who would overfill a baptistry, right? I mean, He uses the most doofuses of doofuses to preach the Word. That is a beautiful thing that God does. Only God could do such. That is the beauty of the Word of God, that God takes it and does great things. Now, they had received the Word here. He talks about this. He says, when ye receive the Word. Now, if you receive something, are you receiving it because it's been given? Yes. Right? You can only receive it if it's offered, right? And so if I'm giving you, uh, if I say everybody line up down that, that uh, center aisle because Rick Jones today is going to give you a $100 bill, right? That sounds good, don't it, right? <laughs> now notice the faith that you all have because nobody moved to the center aisle, did you? <laughs> now if I said maybe Tony, y'all might have been, oh, wait, he's got the money there. We'll, we'll line up for that. Now we think about this. If you were to do that and that, uh, that $100 bill was, reached out to you, right? Extended out. How would you get it? You'd have to receive it, wouldn't you? Now, you'd probably be checking that thing in the lights, maybe taking it somewhere to get that marker and all that stuff to see if it's real or hot off the printing press. But to receive the Word of God is to receive it by faith. Now, faith is that idea of a total dependence, a total trust, total acceptance. But you and I, when we talk about certain people when they talk, we use phrases like, well, you got to take what they say with a grain of salt. Anyone ever said that? Someone's probably said it about you, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> they probably said it about me. They might have said, a, instead of a spoonful of sugar, a spoonful of salt with that thing, right? Now, here's, here's the feel. When you think about this, with man, you can't always trust everything. But when God speaks, every word that he speaks is trustworthy, right? So uh, notice this. These men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're not preaching their own word. They're preaching what God has to say. Therefore, it is trustworthy, and therefore, it should be received. Morris writes, To preach interesting little moral essays can never prove an adequate substitute for the word that comes from God. Ultimately, the only way to receive uh, forgiveness of sins, by receiving the word of God. The only way to have assurance of eternal life, receive the word of God. That to receive the word of God is not just to receive God's promise, his word, but his will, his provision, because the only way that we know about what Christ has done is not because you and I got to see Jesus walk around, live a sinless life, die a death, go into the grave and raise again. We didn't see that, but there were souls that did. And God inspired them. They wrote it down, and it is trustworthy for us to trust this book. Though this book has many authors, yet it has one. Though this book was written over centuries and centuries, yet it has one theme, one message, and not one word or iota or jot or tittle is contradictory to another. Every line matches up with every line. Every precept matches up with every precept. This is the word of God that we can trust, and we should receive it as the Thessalonians had received their, the word. The Green writes, upon hearing it, they accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God. While accepted... 
is almost synonymous with received the previous clause of the previous clause, the verb commonly places more emphasis on personal appropriation. In other words, they solemnly received the sacred message and appropriated it for themselves. Let me pause there for a moment. Here's what receiving really has the idea of. It is not just that they heard they say, oh, well, that sounds nice, or that sounds like a good message, or, you know, that Paul sure is a good preacher. No, it is that they received it and appropriated it themselves, meaning they go, this is the Word of God, and I need this more than anything. And it is now applied to them. They now apply it to their hearts. The methodology of the heralds was unlike that of the philosophers of their day. And their content of the message was not simply human, but divine. The Thessalonians recognized this, having seen the way this message came powerfully to their city. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 5. <coughs> they had listened to the voices of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but they heard what their proclamation actually was, the Word of God. God spoke to them in this proclamation, and their reception of the message <coughs> was the moment of their conversion. Now, if they had simply heard the Word of God, that's not salvation. Receiving by faith is what brings about salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But until we have heard the word of God, we will not be saved. Matter of fact, the Bible even teaches us, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. As the word of God is preached by Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the word of God does a work inside of these folks, drawing them to Christ, showing them who Jesus truly is, and they trust in Him by faith. They depend upon Jesus, His death, burial, and His resurrection, and His promise of a soon return that they would be then saved. This is the work of God. This is what the Word of God does. Now as we go forward here, Edward writes, the divine Word which they received, albeit through human channels, continued to work in their lives. Uh, he puts in here sort of a paraphrase, is as at work in you who believe. The Greek verb, energeo, is used regularly in the New Testament for supernatural activity. Right? This is that word uh, uh, effectually. He says here, he says, <clears throat> which you heard of us, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in the truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Right? Now he goes on and he says, where people welcome God's word into their lives, the power of God is at work. The word of the cross is the power of God. We find that it is effectually doing a work in us. This is why on the days that you wake up and you say, I really don't feel like reading my Bible, read your Bible. The evenings, maybe if that's your time that you go to try to read, pray, study, whatever it might be, have devotion. If you go that evening and you go, it is a long day today, right? I just don't feel like it. Read it anyways. Why? Because the Word of God is always at work. This is why the Old and New Testament, especially the Old Testament, there in Deuteronomy, they talk so much about the Word of God, how important and critical it was that they would literally write it on the doorposts, right? Put it everywhere in their life that they could see the Word of God because where the Word of God goes, the work of God is there. The power of God is there. The power of God is not in Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were, they were fallible men. Now you say, but they were powerful men. You know why? Because they were dedicated to the Word of God and they were filled by the Spirit of God, meaning they depended upon the Word and the Spirit for everything. They knew who they were. And they didn't depend upon their own uh, backgrounds, their own uh, smarts, their own books, their own learning, their own education. They depended upon the Lord Himself. And that's where the power of God is. There's a difference between preaching and teaching and power and not in power. 
The only way that we can preach and teach in power is if the Word of God is relied upon and is sent forth and we depend upon the Spirit to do a work that only He can do. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, He dealt a little bit about this. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. That's where the power is in the first place. Now as we go forth here, we look here at this little, little paragraph here. The greatest work in man is the work of God. And God is always at work through His Word. Without embracing the Word, there will be no enabling work of the Word. The Word itself is the work of God. Think about this. How did God create those first six days? He spoke. That's right. You know the only thing that He didn't speak into existence? It was Adam. There He stuck His hand down, grabbed some dirt of which He had spoke into existence, formed and fashioned it with His hands, and then breathed the breath of life into Adam. That shows, one, the separation between mankind and the rest of creation and the care of which God designed mankind with. But even more so, it shows that with the very Word, the very Word of God is the very power of God. So if we want the power of God in our life, what do you think we need? We need the Word. If we want the work of God in our life, right? Or if we want to do the work of God, what do we need? The Word. Right? All of us here this morning would say, I want to work for the Lord. I want to please the Lord, right? I want God to work in me, through me, right? To, to be used of God. All of us would say that this morning. We're all at least spiritual enough or at least enough to raise our hand along with that with somebody else alongside that we would certainly say we want that, right? The only way it will happen is if the Word of God is in us and we are in the Word. Now, the Word won't be in us until we're in the Word. Does that make sense? And it's not just going to magically, you know, osmosis get in there, right? You can't just go, right? I tried that in Greek class. It don't work. I tried it in other tests and quizzes and things. And all my professors said, you know, that doesn't work. And I said, well, I'm going to try it anyway, (laughs) right? It doesn't work. You need to be in the Word. If you are not in the Word, the Word will not be in you. But when the Word of God is in us, what does He tell us in verse 13? That it is going to be effectually working. It means continuously working is the idea. Effectively and effectually. It is doing a deeper work than you realize because it's doing a deeper work than you could ever do. It is penetrating your heart. It is dividing and cutting away things in your life that need cutting away. But it is working inside of you something that oftentimes you, one, you don't see, can't see, and I believe because we're not supposed to see. If we could see the work that God was doing in us, we would become prideful and think that we'd done that work. And so because the Word of God works this way, it gives all the glory to God. This is why our foundation must be the Word of God because we never get to soli deo gloria unless we have first sola scriptura. right? Unless we have Scripture alone, we never get to glory to God in all things and, and for all time and for all eternity. When the Word is at work in the life of of believers it is continuously working from the inside out to produce the fruit of the spirit notice it is the fruit of the spirit that the bible talks about it doesn't say the fruits of the spirit why is that because if you have the holy spirit it will be the natural fruit that comes with it you don't have to work at the fruit of the spirit you know that why because it's already at work in you now, if you don't have the Spirit, you've got to work real hard to try to get the fruits of the Spirit. And guess what? Then it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's fruits of your own labor, and it will be rotten fruit, won't it? It'll be wood, hay, and stubble at best. But when we see like the Thessalonians here had received the Word of God by faith, that Word of God becomes an effectual 
working in us that is drawing us not just closer to Christ, but is forming and fashioning us something far greater, uh, an eternal weight of glory that is constantly chipping away and strengthening us, that is renewing our mind, renewing our hearts, uh, and, and making us more and more into the image of Christ. As the Lord is the potter and we are the clay, the Word of God is what presses us down and conforms us, but especially and only, truly, as we receive it. If we do not receive the Word by faith, do not expect the, word of, the work of God in your life. If you won't receive what God has to say, you won't receive what God asks you to do. Nor will you be able to do what God asks you to do. You remain in the spiritual no-man's land, and that's a dangerous place to be. We need the work of God. But we'll only have that through the Word. The Word in our life produces the work in our life. For all of us, here's what happens to us. We get saved, right? We start wanting to serve the Lord. We get in church, get more involved. We start serving, we start serving. Then we start maybe getting some leadership positions. We start getting roles. The longer we've been saved and all this stuff. And now we more identify with the work of ministry than the word of the ministry. And that's a, that's a bad spot to be because we can work ourselves to death without ever being in the word of God. And what we'll find is emptiness and little to no real fruit. But the word does a deeper and more lasting work than we could ever possibly imagine. So today, we need to look at our own hearts and lives today and go, when I serve the Lord, right? And all of you would probably say, what, well, you serve the Lord in some capacity, whether it's praying for your church, giving to your church, helping out with kids' ministry. Well, well that's not y'all this morning, that's the rest of them out there. But, but nevertheless, you're here, right? You're a part of the body. That's just as much of a help today. Uh, trust me. Are you doing it by the work of your hands or because the Word of God has done a work in your heart? It must be because the Word has done a work in us that draws us to this place, that draws us to these people around you, even the ones you don't like. Because it's the Word of God that binds us together, that unites us in Christ, and unites us in the work for Christ. So we'll stop here today because we won't get into verse 14. But today, we meditate on this work, and that the Word of God is the greatest thing in our life to produce a work in us. So as we close, are you in the Word? And is the Word in you? Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We're grateful for your faithfulness, your kindness to us. We thank you that we have your Word that we can trust, that we can rely on and depend upon. I pray that we would do so with our whole hearts, our whole lives. And God, that we would trust and rest in you. Lord, we pray that... uh, this morning, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, that you would give us a sweet spirit of, of freedom and liberty, Lord, as your word goes forth that would accomplish great things today. And Lord, we just thank you for this time. We meet the need of every heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, shall we take a pause for the calls? We've got men's prayer.